0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to this um, month's episode of the Seeking Stories podcast. We have uh, unintentionally, again, taken another little bit of a hiatus, but hopefully, this will be the last one. Uh, the hope is to get into more of a solid routine uh, moving forward. and because, <laughs> oh, for
1: a routine. For a routine. <laughs> I want a routine.
0: Routines are nice.
1: They're hard when you have a three month old and a toddler. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's true. And I'm hungry. Yeah. But that's beside the point. So anyway, so to start back up the podcast, we are doing a series on...
1: Movie prologues.
0: Movie prologues.
1: Specifically movie prologues.
0: Yes, or specifically. Kristen doesn't like my jokes very much. I rolled my eyes. Yeah. You can't see that. It's dark out anyway. Anyway... (laughs) sorry Kristen. this is what happens when you have a three-month-old just just like you were saying
1: anyway lack of sleep does something to your brain we're wasting
0: the time of our listeners no, 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 like the 15 we have <laughs>
1: okay.
0: so anyway for the the few of you who are who are currently listening we're doing a four part likely four part we're going to see how um, the first couple go to see um, the length of them and if we're going to do more like we, three or four more
1: time right to talk about um, it, Yeah.
0: A series on, uh, uh, specifically, that time I actually almost said specifically by accident. Specifically, movie prologues. Um, The different kinds, why they work, why they don't work, and then... Why they're um, there. Why they're there. And the very last podcast in the series, will wrap it all up by basically doing a little bit on how to write your own. Using all the tips that we have found uh, throughout the movies we've examined. So... Uh, today we're actually going to start with Kristen giving us a little bit of a history lesson.
1: Well, etymology, history, yeah, all that. Yeah. Um, well, the word prologue, uh, comes from the Greek. No surprise there. Well, it wasn't a surprise to me. Um. Because you to, know that stuff. Because I studied Greek. I don't, didn't study that um, stuff. <laughs> so prologue is actually two Greek words put together. It's pro, which means before, and logos, which in this, um, translation would you would translate it as saying so before saying so it's a saying that comes before makes sense um so then the actual definitions if you look you know google it or um, i also got some from the cambridge dictionary there's uh technically there's two definitions that i think apply even though one only one definition refers to literary works um but there's the definition a separate introductory section of a literary or musical work. Or another way to put it is a part that comes at the beginning of a play or story, um, often giving info about events that happen before the story begins. So that's the one that's most seemingly most relevant. But I also kind of like the other definition is an event or action that leads to another event or situation, or a series of events that happen before something that are related to it. So, often the example given, like, use the word in a sentence, is, uh, for example, like, you know, this whole string of battles was a prologue to a full-scale war. Mm -hmm. So, a whole bunch of small things that lead up to something bigger. So, that's not specifically referring to literary, you know, or works or stories, but I think it still makes sense in light of what we're talking about. So, that's... um, That's the kind of the language part of it. The history comes, obviously, it's Greek and started with Greek drama. Um, The one sentence that I picked out of this (laughs) Wikipedia article, so scholarly, um, about the Greek usage that I just think uh, helps understand the use of a prologue. It says that the point of a prologue to an to a Greek audience um, was that it supplied them with what they needed to make the rest of the scenes intelligible. So it gave them just enough context or information or whatever that they needed so that they could understand what they were about, the play that they were about to see. Um,
0: So, like you said, context is the main thing Yeah, exactly, yeah,
1: yeah. And then I actually just earlier read... um, An interesting bit, uh, the use of it in Elizabethan times, so like by Shakespeare. It's the prologue, where does it say? It served as a transition and clarification for the audience. Um, It would appeal to the audience's attention and sympathy, provided historical context, gave a guide to the themes of the play, and occasionally a disclaimer. I don't know <laughs> if any movie prologues do that. Um, that not. was no, but that was the use of a prologue in like the, like the Shakespearean times. Right. Um, it said, and it would usher the audience from the reality into the world of the play, which I think was kind of a cool visual. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. so that's kind of the history of the prologue in Greek and Elizabethan drama. So yeah.
0: Well, and I think the main point that I took away from that is, is two things context mm-hmm. and a separation of time yeah really yeah I mean in you know honestly you know there has to be at least somewhat of a separation of time because most stories movies are told linearly mm-hmm. um, yeah. but I think a lot of the prologues that we think of with think of prologues is a greater separation of time than you know five minutes or an hour or two usually yeah. we're talking about a greater length of time yeah. than that you know that could be you know yeah. Days, weeks, months, years, decades, you know, centuries yeah. in, in a way. Yeah. millennia. <laughs> yeah, as yeah. we'll see in probably episode two of this little bit here. Um, but basically a, a scene that sets the context of the story at hand. Yeah. Um, now, the one of the main things to remember, I think, is, you know, this should never be an information dump. You know, the point is to hook the audience it's to draw them in. Um, we don't just want to spew a whole bunch of names and events. You don't want to
1: turn them off with information overload and have them go, okay, I don't know if I want to watch the rest of this movie.
0: Right, yeah. exactly.
1: Or be confused because it could confuse them more if you try to overload them with information. And it could do the opposite because the point of a prologue is to help the audience, like in Greek drama, help them understand what they were about to watch. Mm-hmm. And if you, yeah, if you overload it or don't or if it's not used correctly it can actually make it more confusing right and you're not audience. you're not just
0: looking to give a historical narrative yeah. um, really you want the the prologue to be the best choice to open the story you know mm-hmm. you want it to make it so that if any other scene but this one started the story it wouldn't work it, it wouldn't work or wouldn't work as well yeah in you know, the the yeah. the scene we're or the movie we're looking at today is um, the 2009 uh, star trek reboot mm-hmm. uh, directed by JJ Abrams a fantastic movie mm-hmm. um I actually saw this movie on its opening night back in two thousand nine, having never seen Star Trek before, like in almost any iteration. None
1: of it, none of the TV I shows. I had seen the a
0: couple of episodes okay. of the original, you know, I think it's in the sixties TV show, sporadically but here and there. And, but that was it. Yeah. You know, I knew that... I think
1: same for me. I'd caught maybe one or two episodes of that ever as a kid. Right. And I remember thinking it was weird. And I was like, no thanks. Well, I, know, I, knew, I knew that Patrick Stewart was in it. <laughs> yeah. Is
0: What is the character? What is his character? Jean-Luc Picard, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, and that I knew there was, was, what, 10 plus movies. Really? I think at that point there was about, you know, 10 or more. Um, I should have done my research. <laughs> and, you know, countless uh, TV show episodes and different different iterations of the TV show. And the Star Trek uh, prologue, it, it worked so well because it did two things. It did many things, but two things. It drew in the um, the fans who, you know, had grown up, you know, on the you know TV show, the movies, and the people like me who had never seen an episode before. You know, I'm a mm-hmm. Star Wars person through and through, and Star Trek just wasn't Star Wars, and therefore yeah. I just didn't care. Yeah. Um, but the trailers for that movie were really well put together. I'm like, huh, this is looks interesting. Yeah, and it was right after you know final exams, and the movie was doing something that you know, ten years ago, two thousand nine was kind of in, is doing <laughs> it was doing uh, eight eight p.m. showings before yeah. the like previews before the midnight showings. Yeah. So final exams ended, and I convinced a couple friends that we should go see it, and we did. Mm-hmm. And I think at least one of the friends had seen a whole bunch of Star Trek and mm-hmm. I had, and we both So you
1: had one of each camp,
0: right? Yeah. Right. We were both drawn in, um, uh, by a couple of things. So you know, for me, it was, uh, the emotional connection to it all. It
1: still makes me cry every time. Yeah, I watch we'll,
0: it. we'll get there. <laughs> and the, the brilliant but. filmmaking is even beside, um, the point as far as the cinematic, you know, shots and angles, mm-hmm. which I do want to touch on a little bit because that we're talking about cinema prologues, not necessarily mm-hmm. book prologues. They share a lot of similar similarities. Um, but here we're talking more of the cinematic side of things. Um, but so for me, it w- there was the, the instant, you know, drawing into this this epic universe and your instant connection to these characters mm-hmm. and, you know, the, the drama and the heartbreak that happens and setting up plot and setting up villains and setting up theme and context, mm-hmm. everything you were saying, Kristen. Because I, I did not know that world at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you Heard of Spock. Mm-hmm. You know, heard yeah. of Kirk. Yeah, that's about it. You know, heard of the <laughs> Enterprise.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, those three things.
0: <laughs> but then for the people who have seen it before um or you know had seen the other movies you know it was a huge shock for them because um basically if you haven't seen the movie yet i'm going to spoil the prologue here a little bit but it basically it it um it changes the timeline of the entire universe it kind of reboots it it's how you know the hollywood terminology would call it um basically says that um you know these romulans it's one of the alien species you know comes from the future
1: which you don't realize that technically at the it doesn't it doesn't come right out and say that in the prologue there's you get clues, clues at the very there's beginning clues. that they're
0: from the future yeah um, one of the characters basically says where are you from to to these villains yeah
1: because they ask what's the current starting
0: yeah yeah <laughs> what do you mean, and
1: what's the date? you realize that
0: oh my goodness that everything I had known about you know Spock and Kirk and all that you know is no longer I guess sacred to that universe mm-hmm. you know we can't rely on all oh, they've made it out safely because they haven't yet because mm-hmm. they we don't know what's what's happened we just yeah. know things have changed. So, the reason, one of the reasons why the Star Trek prologue work is because it had to do two things. It had to bring in a new group of people like me who had never had interest in Star Trek, and it had to bring in the people who loved it and said, okay, this movie is going to be worth both of your times. Mm-hmm. And you needed a, a prologue to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, if you just jumped into the narrative proper, it would have probably appealed to the. <laughs> Trekkies or trekkers, or whatever I, I know, that there's two different terms for it, um, but it may have been a little bit harder to draw in the people like yeah. me who just didn't, yeah. you know, care at all.
1: Or it could have done the opposite. It could have drawn in people who didn't know anything about Star Trek, and it could have also turned off people who were, I guess, loyal fans of the original mm-hmm. because it is so different. That's a good point. Because the prologue, you know, like you said, one of the things the prologue did was it kind of justified using this time, this all, um, this kind of time jump you know, the, like a time machine type of thing, it justifies the new, like the reboot. It justifies the reboot. It's It doesn't, it, it acts as if the rest of the Star Trek that had already been done still exists. It's like, oh, but wait, now everything gets altered because someone messed, not someone messed with time, but something with the time got messed up. So therefore, the lives that we thought all the characters lived get redone. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so yeah, the Kirk and the Spock that we grew up with, if you, you know, if you were one of the fans, are no longer that Kirk and Spock because of what happens in the prologue. You know, like you said, it's, it becomes an alternate timeline. Um so it justifies for the fans who may have otherwise gone I can't believe they did that to Star Trek. You know, they just changed every. You know, it's like, or just the fact that oh, they just rebooted it, and I don't like it as much. It or sets whatever. people's
0: expectations accordingly, and yeah. then it gives them a little brief moment to almost you know let it sink in and digest. Mm-hmm. When you have you know the what, thirty seconds or whatever it is between when the prologue ends and then the narrative starts, mm-hmm. you've got you know your opening title sequence, which mm-hmm. is is very short, but at yeah. the same time it lets the audience kind of take a deep breath and say, okay, this is the story that I'm in. Mm-hmm. I now I'm ready for the actual the actual story. Yeah. So, you know, in, in our opinion that was the best way to open open the movie. Yeah.
1: And it's also, well, and it and not just that you said it, it's that that it need to for it to be work that it should be the best way to open the movie, but it's also that, you know, one is this information vital to your audience's understanding of the story, and of course in our in this case yes. And if it is, is this the only place you can put this information? Because if it's information that you can easily put in the, the main narrative, then you don't need the prologue. Mm-hmm. But if it really only works best at the front of your story, then yeah, do the prologue. You and know.
0: that's a really delicate balance for sure. Because, oh, you yeah. know, saying, you know, is this the, you know, the only place it could work is such a subjective statement. But in this case, you know, it, it works so well, you know, 10 years later, it shows that it works really, really well. And, um, You know, we could argue that, you know, yeah, maybe they could have split information other places, but they did a really good job of saying, you know, these are, like leaving mystery, you know, these are the little tidbits you need to know. Because one of the things they do in this prologue is they do mention Spock, you know, an older version of Spock. So you're telling the audience, wait, this Spock character still exists, even though based on the time frame, it looks like, yeah, Yeah, he hasn't been born yet. What's going on with that? So it hides clues. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the key there. It shows just enough information to get us interested mm-hmm. and then saves the rest for later. And that's a, you know, a delicate yeah. balance for sure. I mean, mm-hmm. we don't have, you know, the knowledge of knowing what would happen if they had given a little bit more information or a little bit less information. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it would have worked better or worse, but we know that this yeah. particular iteration or this version worked.
1: Yeah. And I and I think one of the biggest advantages to this particular prologue at least and is, because you know, especially because this is cinema, so this is a visual art form. Um, I think one of the biggest advantages for having it there is it gets you emotionally connected to the story.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, it, if you if they had tried to kind of put this information elsewhere, I feel like you wouldn't have felt quite as strongly about how Kirk's. Because this kind of is the beginning of Kirk, Captain Kirk's journey. Mm-hmm. You know, this is really where his story begins. He just doesn't know it yet, but everything that happens in the prologue affects him. It does in big ways, um, and so um, not well, not just him, but also Spock and you know everyone else. Um, so I think it it's a it's a really good way, and and I actually think if you if we talk about other, um, especially prologues like this one the action prologue which is like basically like a scene or maybe two scenes yeah a that, scene or a sequence a scene or a sequence um as opposed to you know a whole big narrative um a lot of them draw you in emotionally they they have give you some kind of emotional they have connection. to they absolutely yeah. have to yeah to the story that you may not get if the information was put in there a different way right
0: so let's okay so let's recap where where we are right now with the action the action yeah. prologue. So again, it's the action prologue is a scene or a couple of scenes, a sequence that basically drops the audience, you know, in in the middle of the action. Into yeah. More or less. Or
1: into the world. Of into the, the
0: story. into the world. It it doesn't it doesn't pause. This this is key with the action prologue. It doesn't pause to give you, um, you know, backstory or, or narration, narration yeah. or any of that. It just says, okay, here's some characters. You know, here's a conflict. Here's it's a not scene. It's expositional. Ready, set, go. Yeah. It's exactly. very much.
1: It's a very. It's very much dynamic.
0: Um, right. It has to be dynamic. Yeah. yeah. So one, it has to be the best choice to open the story with. Mm-hmm. Uh, it needs to hook the audience in a, in a grand way. Um, it needs to um, what you said, Kristen. It needs to emotionally connect the audience to the story, and it does that in in this particular version um, by basically it it rips you know Kirk's life apart as it's starting. Mm-hmm. You know his his father takes command. Of the ship, it's the the USS Kelvin, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, You know, as he's being born, and his father has to sacrifice himself uh,
1: to save to save everyone, everyone, including including including
0: him, changing the trajectory of his life. There's a line later in the movie that basically a few lines actually that indicate that. you know, in the other alternate timeline, you know, his father was the inspiration for Kirk to join Starfleet in the first yeah. place. Now he doesn't have that good yeah. role model.
1: Although he does, his father indirectly becomes inspiration for him joining because when he meets commander Pike in the bar and he's, you know, Kirk's all just like, blah, whatever. I don't care. I'm going to be lazy and apathetic about life and my skills and just, you know, be, a, you know, be who he is mm-hmm. at the beginning of the movie and reckless and whatever. And commander Pike says you know he's trying to get him to join he's like you're so you know your skills are off the ch- whatever he says off the charts you, you know you're smart enough to enter why he's like whatever and he's commander pike says to him it's like you're his final challenge to him was, you know, your father was captain of a ship for, what, eight minutes and saved how many hundreds of people? It's like, I dare you to do better. Yeah. And, and that gets him. So indirectly, his father is still the inspiration. It's it just is. just through way. a different, yeah, in a different way. And that
0: scene is actually key for why this the prologue, you had to have seen it mm-hmm. first. Yeah. Because, and this actually brings me to point number four, which is the prologue, it has to give information in a dynamic way that the narrative itself couldn't do otherwise or better. And I what I mean by that is I think if, that's if what that, I was trying to
1: say earlier. Yeah,
0: if, if that scene, you know, if, if we had seen that prologue and the movie just started and we just seen, you know, Kirk is, you know, a jerk and just, you know, apathetic and, you know, just not caring, and then Pike had said that line, sure, it could have worked. But as the audience, we have this gravity. We've seen the sacrifice his father gave. We saw Kirk being born during that, you know, the shock that it gave his mother. Mm. And that whole series of circumstances, we know, we we basically are on Pike's side at that point, basically saying, you know, Kirk, you better get your act together, you know.
1: Yeah, we probably also would have been a bit more annoyed at him at the beginning if it just opened with, like, even, say, if it just opened with the scene for, with him as a kid driving the car and, you know, already being reckless, you know, we would have been like, okay, like, he was a kind of a wild child, and now he's an adult you know, being reckless and starting fights and hitting on gir- random girls. And it's like, we would have felt more kind of annoyed. We wouldn't have, I feel like he wouldn't have been quite as likable of a character because of having seen the prologue and that part of his backstory, we already feel sorry for him. Like knowing that he's grown up, you know, without his dad and that his mom, who knows how she handled it. Um, uh, my guess is not that well because the one sense you get of, the guy that she's dating, or whoever married, or whatever the car, the guy whose car he steals yeah. and drives off, you know it see it it sounds like one of those classic situations where the mom, the widowed mom, is either dating guys that aren't that great, or is married a guy that's kind of I don't know. So we knowing, seeing the prologue gives us that kind of emotional. Connection that puts us on his side.
0: Mm-hmm. It gives us more than a frame of reference in yeah. a way. It shows that. So yeah. without
1: it, we kind of would have been like, yeah, we'd have been like, man, he's kind of a jerk. Like, why is he not? You know, I mean, we still kind of, kind of think that, but it's more in a in a.
0: We root for him to grow up now. Yes. Yeah. Rather yeah. than just say, you know, you shouldn't act like that. It's yeah. like, no, you shouldn't act like that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's it's, it's more we're, we're again we're on we're on yeah. we're on Kirk's side in the way of
1: the way a parent is on the side of a child who's not you know doing the things they should it's like yeah. i love you but you need to get your life together yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah so
0: again we're we're giving to kind of recap that a little bit is we're we're giving information or plot details or in, you know or items about the character in a way that you need to see it dynamically mm-hmm. you know, you need to see it, it shown can't just be
1: told in retrospect right as
0: as exposition or mm-hmm. backstory or anything like that yeah and again there are plenty of movies where that is the best way to do it yeah you know especially movies that have a little bit more mystery involved or you want to hide specific elements Mm -hmm. about the character and reveal them in other ways Mm -hmm. whether that's dialogue or action you know we're not saying this is the anytime you have an emotional type of moment that oh you have to show it that way but if it sets your story up um, to make the audience care about the journey and the character and that's the best way to do it then it should be done that way it's just not always going to be going to be that way yeah Um, So number five that an action prologue should do, and this is one where Star Trek, it meets the criteria but barely, is that the action prologue should uh, loop in the protagonist somehow.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You cry. You hear him cry. In this case, he's born in it. So this is
0: stretching it a little bit. And not that every action prologue needs to have that. But usually if you're jumping into the middle of the action, um, the prologue or the character, um, the hero, the protagonist, uh, whatever you choose to call him, uh, should be involved in some capacity, if, if at all possible. Um, one other example, and I actually use this as an example for a movie that I don't think did a great job is, uh, Rogue One. Mm. Uh, the prologue there, uh, in our opinion is unnecessary ultimately. I mean, it does have a lot to do with the, I feel like,
1: right, that that's more your opinion. I haven't thought about it all that much.
0: I've been, yeah, I mean, it's been a couple but... years since the movie came out. Um, I've been thinking, I've been thinking about it a lot and, it's not bad it's not a bad prologue mm-hmm. by by any means I mean it mm-hmm. doesn't you know kind of spoil things yeah you know it doesn't you're not sitting there and being like oh man this this gonna be over mm-hmm. um, my whole thing with rogue, rogue one is yes it does loop in the protagonists and all that um uh, the girl you know basically the, the the you know 30 second version of that is you know her and her parents are hidden away on some some planet and uh basically an, an imperial officer shows up and basically tells
1: he have been dad. found. Yeah, and, yeah,
0: yeah, you've been found. You need to work on what turns to out to be the Death work. Star.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, if we don't, we'll... Kind of threatens him. Yeah, threatens and them. Come
1: back and work for him.
0: And, you know, ultimately, he's taken, mother's killed, daughter runs off. And hides. And hides. You know, in a way, that's kind of similar to what happens in Star Trek. Not plot point for plot point, but, it, you know, it's a little bit of an emotional opening, for mm-hmm. sure. But those particular... Elements you didn't necessarily, and this is my gripe with it, you didn't necessarily need to see in order for the movie to work. Um, It's one of those where, yes, there's that emotional connection, but would the story have potentially been served better if you learned some of those things gradually? Um, Basically, see, you know, because the the next scene, or, you know, within the next few scenes, you see the the girl, Jin, um, as a grown up.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And you basically know all that backstory and that drama there. And you actually, that's too much information at that point. You didn't necessarily need to know that. It would have been nice, again, in my opinion, to gradually say, okay, who is this character? Why is she, you know, fighting the Empire? Um, Why is she, you know, abandoned, um, you know, kind of hope at that point? Mm -hmm. Um, What's her journey to get back to that point? Or to the point of helping the the Rebel Alliance? Um, What's, why did she do what she... Why she do what she does? Yeah. I'm not sure if that's correct grammar. Do what she does. Is that right? Yeah, sure. Anyway. <laughs> um, you know Who is this villain? And mm-hmm. again, I feel like the oh, beginning just answered too many questions. Hmm. Whereas Star Trek, again, you still got some of that, but some of the things you have no idea. Like the villain, what's his deal? We don't know. We just know he showed up from somewhere and killed the commander yeah, of the USS fact, Calvin and attacked everyone else. Yeah, it raises questions
1: and it answers. Right.
0: In the... Yeah. Um, the Rogue One prologue it answered more questions than it asked, hmm. and for me that's just where it seemed like um, it could, the information could have been split out or spread out a yeah. little bit better.
1: Yeah, or maybe if they felt they needed a prologue, they could have made it shorter, less. I didn't know if there was information in the prologue that would have still needed a prologue. They could have made me made it more bare bones just to include. You know, not to answer so many questions, mm-hmm. but still have it, you know. yeah,
0: that's Right. Saying. And again, we, we don't have the hindsight or you know, the foreknowledge of what went on in, in the script writing. And, yeah. and that's, you know, we, a lot of we times. We can conjecture. <laughs>
1: we can go back right. and look at it and say, well, maybe they could have done this instead.
0: Having written stories and worked on a lot of movie projects ourselves, you know, it's, it's one thing that I always try to keep in the back of my mind is that, you know, it's, it's a hard process to tell a story that's good. It's really easy to point out flaws. It's really hard to think of solutions. <laughs> yeah. So, again, this is, yep. it, it, you know, we're saying, in, in our opinion, this is a flaw of Rogue One. But, you know, we don't know what the better option would have been. We had I don't think s-
1: it keeps me from enjoying it.
0: No, oh, no, it's a fantastic movie. And, and I think it's really one of the few downfalls of that movie. And it doesn't destroy the movie as a well, whole. And
1: I, think, and I think it's so, it's for me, it's such a subtle flaw that, like, I wouldn't have ever thought that you know because I and mean, it's because I don't look at things quite as critically from especially from the story point of view as you would you know I would have never thought that about I would have never thought you know what they didn't really need that prologue you know I I loved the movie from beginning to end you know so I feel like yeah if it you know if you pointed out as a flaw it's like it's a baby flaw you know in the grand scheme of things there are much worse prologues out there
0: oh sure sure and again i'm I'm just picking on that one because that's the one i've been thinking about for for a while and it does annoy me a little bit just because i feel like again i'm not the writer and i'm not the director i know that's a stressful process but i feel like that would have been more of an easy fix i feel like that's why it annoys me more Mm -hmm. um just because the rest of the movie was so good i feel Mm -hmm. like It makes the flaw stand out just a little bit, a little bit more in in a way.
1: Well, and I'm wondering too, if action prologues are harder to notice when they're not done well, because they're so dynamic, Mm -hmm. you know, that sometimes you can get so caught up in the action or the emotion of it that, you know, which is probably what happened to me that you just don't sit there, you know, you don't have the luxury of thinking about what you're watching and like, is this really necessary? That's a whole lot easier with other types of prologues, which, you know, we'll talk about Later. um But action prologues are so, because yeah, they're so dynamic and just present that, you know, you don't usually, it doesn't really give your brain the luxury to like, yeah, to wonder that. Yeah. So it's, I feel like it might be a lot harder to pick out ones that don't work very well.
0: You, the action prologues that don't work well, I think it's, yeah, look, I think there's reasons why it's harder to pick out is because you don't realize till after the movie was over in a way that you were either given right. too much information or. Right. It yeah. didn't, um, unless it just doesn't do anything well, doesn't emotionally connect you.
1: Yeah, or that. There are or, some that are really obvious. Yeah,
0: or hook you at all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But because the action prologue like, does try to, you know, again, drop you in the middle of the action and loop in characters you're supposed to care about, you know, in mm-hmm. theory, you know, it doesn't really give you time. Yeah. But actually, looking at some of our other movies that we were discussing, it's, it's kind of funny, because a lot of them have the the heroes is either being born or as newborns (laughs) finding nemo yeah
1: i was getting into seeing finding nemo
0: um harry potter
1: yeah baby
0: man of steel
1: yep he wasn't even technically born or was he Yo, he was that's right he was baby
0: yeah stardust
1: yeah he wasn't he wasn't born he was conceived (laughs) (laughs) um
0: Um, and then (laughs) And this is a movie that is kind of a mess all over the place, but Batman Returns is about the villain being kind of born his early.
1: Yeah, yeah. I feel like, and I guess, you know, I'm wondering, um, I've been wondering if there's, because the action prologue I think is the most common one. You can think of many, many examples. Oh, yeah. You know, of all the movies you can write down, and we have a sizable list already, that have prologues, you know, most of them are action prologues. Mm-hmm. Um, because that tends to be the most fitting kind. Drop um, you
0: in the middle of the action.
1: Um, but I've been wondering if there, because you know, because one of the things you know we've talked about what is you know what makes a prologue, is it's something that is removed from the main part of the narrative, and in most cases it's removed by time. Usually it's something in the past. Sometimes it's future. But like um, I think our example for the future one is uh,
0: uh, Mission Impossible.
1: Oh, that one. I was thinking of the Grand Budapest Hotel. Oh, yeah. Um, but of course, that is maybe technically a different kind. Mm-hmm. But time is pretty much always what separates. I had yet to find an example of one where it was not time that separated the prologue from the even if it was like a week, mm-hmm. maybe that separated the prologue from the main narrative but now i'm wondering if there's a movie or an example of a prologue that maybe it's not so much time but that sets but that tells you a different part of the story that doesn't have the main character in it and i feel like i've seen something like that where you know a movie opens and it gives you this scene that isn't doesn't have the main character and it's not like a week ago, two months ago, 5 years ago, but that's like some other part you know what I mean? Like some other part of the story that gives you information that's important. But, yeah, I don't know. I feel yeah,
0: like, um, well, one movie that I think kind of... gives
1: you a different p- perspective of the story that you're not going to see later on and that the main character isn't a part yeah. of.
0: Yeah, well, I I think I don't think you'd ever see a movie that has quite that, with the you, that is completely unrelated. The, actually, the first movie that comes to mind is the Lego movie mm-hmm. um, because they have a prologue where Morgan Freeman's wizard character... Um, and right. will Farrell's evil character kind of duke it out over the, the piece of resistance. Yeah.
1: it's about a it's about a prop.
0: Right. Or, right or Not a
1: prop. It's about a but it is well it is okay. it's, it's not about the main character, but it's about a very significant.
0: It's called the MacGuffin. It's the item that drives the the plot forward. So you know, the, like the Ring and Lord of the Rings, or the Ark of the Covenant and Raiders of the Lost Ark, or right. the Holy Grail, and you know, right. any really anything, any of the Indiana Jones movies. It's the plot that moves. Yeah, yeah. The, so the item that moves the plot forward. Yeah.
1: So I guess I guess maybe we could also say that the action prologue should it loop in maybe either the main the hero protagonist, or I guess. You could say it could also loop in if it can't if it doesn't loop in that person or that character, something. I guess what is you maybe you would always label the MacGuffin something that's a something that's important to the plot.
0: Right, and I for and, anyone who's writing prologues, I would really strongly caution writing a prologue that doesn't basically involve the hero or at the very least the the antagonist, because if you're just showing the plot or the mm-hmm. or the um the the plot item the MacGuffin mm-hmm. with a whole bunch of other random characters, it's like. Well, yeah, we understand this is, you know, the item, but then we got these characters that we just throw away and do not see anymore.
1: Right. And, well, and my argument
0: would yeah. be just find a way to loop in your protagonist or antagonist.
1: Right. Well, and I think and so I think the the two things that um that I would say about that is one, if you're if that's something you're considering, then you need to make sure you're following all the other criteria of, uh, you know, if this is the best way to open the movie, you know, it's going to hook the audience somehow. It's going to give them information they can't get otherwise in a dynamic way. You know, all of those. If you're following, if you've hit all those other checkpoints and yet it happens to be about something and not someone, maybe it could still work. Yeah. But I guess my other point was that, you know, is that another way that the prologue is removed from the main story? Because mm-hmm. in, all, in, in pretty much all of the examples we have, all, the prologue is separated by time whether it's a week, months, days, years, whatever, you know. But, you know, there could, because I know in book prologues, a prologue can be different in that it gives you a different point of view. Mm-hmm. So I, I was wondering if there are any movie, and I, okay, and I'm sure there are movie prologues that do this, but whether or not they're good <laughs> or necessary. Yeah. If if a movie prologue can be necessary, and yet instead of being separated by time, it's separated by a perspective, or a, you know what I mean, like.
0: No, no, I, I know what you. Something mean, that's
1: contemporary. Something that's contemporary to the story we're gonna see, but it's not something that can happen. You know what I mean.
0: No, I do, and I'm struggling to think of any. And I think the reason why we're struggling to think of any is that it's so hard to do, do probably, well. But books probably. do have, especially older books. You know, Victorian mm-hmm. literature especially has the um, the benefit of being able to say, you know, here, this is what is happening at this time. And it's having it this time. Yeah. And because they're longer books, they're told from a different, you know, style and format that we just don't see in as much nowadays. Right. That was very much, that was very much acceptable. Um, now, you know, the audiences that we're catering to really, especially in the cinematic world, you loop those characters in, you know, right away. And we know those are the ones that we're, we're following. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that TV probably has a better chance of doing something like that um, than a movie than a movie would. Um, I'm struggling to think of a good TV. Do you think
1: it's because they have more episodes to to address all the material in, maybe?
0: Right, right. You know, I, I think back to an episode we did um, last fall on Downton Abbey, episode one, mm-hmm. when it was all these characters, you know, um, reacting to what we find out uh, later was the Sinking of the Titanic. Yeah. But, so it's all different perspectives, mm-hmm. um, but at the same time, they were all characters that did show up again and again.
1: Yeah, and there's not really a prologue.
0: No, no, like, no. So that, no, so yeah. No. I was not... thinking of, you know, if, characters sharing different perspectives oh yeah yeah so yeah i would i would say just even though there might be some you know examples out there that we're just not thinking of just having a different perspective from a character that doesn't really show up again just i just can't see it working mm-hmm. i mean well
1: i mean if it is someone that shows up again is it okay then if they're not the main character
0: I mean sure it's okay I just it's it's really really hard to, yeah. to do right yeah, yeah. we care about the main character mm-hmm. and we're following that yeah. I'm uh, just
1: trying to I guess I'm trying to establish you know because almost every example that we thought of again time is the distinguishing factor so is there something out there that's not that isn't that's not so, separated so, by time
0: so here's my answer <laughs> for, for the writer learning to write prologues I would say no don't even go there okay um as we do research for our other prologue episodes we'll keep thinking about that to see mm-hmm. if there is anything that has worked mm-hmm. but you know if you're just starting to learn how to write a prologue or you know considering it um go go the protagonists. you know mm-hmm. to to an extent get them in the prologue somehow if you can we're going to talk about another version of a prologue next week that doesn't really loop in the protagonists as much mm-hmm. but if you're looking at dropping the characters into, you know, or your your audience into a scene or a, a short sequence, you know, got to involve the protagonist somehow or something that is emotionally related to him. Or if you really have to do the antagonist, um, a movie that did it, a couple movies that did it, Batman Returns and The Dark Knight. Two Batman movies. Uh, Batman Returns.
1: And technically the Lego movie.
0: Right, right. Yeah. Um, but just compare and contrast the two Batman movies. Uh, it, it's difficult because if you start out with the antagonist, you're kind of setting the antagonist up to be a very important part of the story, which isn't bad in of itself, but it takes away from the person you're really trying to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, and it worked more so in The Dark Knight, but at the same time, you know, the actor who played the Joker, who showed up in the prologue, drove the prologue through, you know, really good prologue. He Ledger. I mean, he, he stole the the movie. And, you know, you could make more arguments that, you know, it was his performance throughout the entire thing, not just the prologue. But still, it set it up almost to be his movie in a way, even though it wasn't.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think both of those movies could get away with that because if you think about it, they were both sequels. Right. So you had already met the protagonist. Mm-hmm. So we already knew him. We already knew, like, we had already gotten his story, um, you know, wh- however well it was told or not. But... um.
0: And that's why it worked for the Dark yeah. Knight.
1: Yeah, and because we'd already, yeah, we'd already, we'd already met Bruce Wayne slash Batman. We'd seen his, you know, his journey, and so we'd already had a connection to him. Mm-hmm. So that, I think that's why it worked. And technically, Batman Returns was, you know, the sequel. So we'd already met Batman. Mm-hmm. You know, not as well done as Batman Begins and Dark Knight.
0: Right. I but think...
1: we already, but we still already knew his character. We had, you know, if you were able to get a connection to him, you already had that. So then they had the luxury of, okay, well, we know Batman. We know this is a Batman movie. We know who he is. So it's like, well, okay, so now let's introduce who's he going to be up against. So I think that's why as sequels they could get away with that.
0: Yeah, and the reason why Dark Knight worked with Batman Returns and did not in that sense is that it very clearly set up the Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises with Bane is this is the person that Batman is going to be fighting. We don't need to know his backstory. We don't need to know facts about him. This, these are the stakes, and it gives mm-hmm. the, the protagonist some stakes. And Batman Returns is a... gives the
1: backstory. Gives the
0: backstory of this villain,
1: which is who, awful. Re,
0: who really, and then well, and then you jump into Catwoman, and really, if oh yeah, you don't. Batman and Bruce Wayne is in Batman Returns so little. <laughs> that, it's all
1: about it's all about the villains, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, really the movie should really be called Batman Returns at the end of the movie, yeah. or something ridiculous. Well, and I mean, and
1: you've got a point there because I that's something I didn't think about is because you know the Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises, you just get the villain, you get the villain in the thick of his villainy. Yes, and it's like oh man, Batman's and you set up the against stakes. yeah instead of going back to oh when he was a little kid he wasn't loved and you know and that i mean that's the penguin story it's setting
0: it up to be the penguin story which it's, the movie and was it, becomes a pe-
1: it it becomes a tragedy right. about the penguin honestly right. rather than a heroic but the superhero movie is called movie. batman
0: returns i know and that's why and that's why my caution is for anyone writing a prologue if you absolutely can't start with the protagonist sure, start with the antagonist but make but don't it, re- make, it his backstory. make it relate to the protagonist somehow <laughs> Yeah. Give it some stakes, you know. Uh, make it so that you know it shows that the the main character is the only one, the hero is the only one who can you know face the it villain. It should make head you think of the protagonist. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, again, that's why. Um, yeah, that, that those those are your pitfalls. Really, really, in a, in a way. <laughs> yeah. um, so to kind of loop back around and try to wrap this uh, bit up here. Um, a couple more things that the action prologue should do is it should um, also establish... Really prologue, yeah prologue, Right, right. But especially, so, for the action one for today is it should establish a major plot point or two. Um, going back to Star Trek, it does. Um, it basically shows the villains as being a threat to the... I, our, does, universe, does whatever, our universe. Star Trek say galaxy? I know Star Wars says the galaxy. I'm not sure what Star I Trek does. I don't remember. The Federation, is that a thing, I think?
1: They mention, yeah, they do mention the Federation. His they ask, like, why is he firing on a Federation ship? Oh, yeah, that's right. I've seen yeah. Star
0: Trek in the second one. I've never seen the third one. So oh. my, my, my understanding of Star Trek is limited to the two J.J. Abrams movies. Yes. <laughs> Galaxy, Universe, Federation, whatever it is, mm-hmm. it shows the threat mm-hmm. that is prevalent throughout the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Um, even though it takes uh, you know a little bit of time, really, the, from Act 1 to Act 2, um, to really see how that threat is going to manifest itself again later on we do see that this is this is important to the Mm. story
1: it also sets up this is a very small detail but becomes a part of a big really a big plot point um and this is and it's something that you wouldn't have caught on to unless you're as smart as captain kirk um but when he's on the ship later when he snuck onto Mm -hmm. the ship as a as a medical passenger um he warns everyone because all the ships are going off to answer to this weird distress call, or whatever it is—I forget yeah. how, what they no, call right. it—and he's the only one who remembers. Hey, this like lightning storm anomaly thing that we're all going Reacting to investigate to. is the same thing that happened the day my dad sacrificed himself. Yeah, and everyone is like, so it's like because they and that and if you're paying attention in the prologue, they do mention that whatever lightning storm they mention by name whatever what's brought this ship to that spot in space
0: mm-hmm. um, it's actually the very first line in the prologue um it's okay you, yeah you, you <laughs> see the ship kind of going you know through through space and you just hear on the intercom you don't know who says it basically reaching out to the federation or whatever
1: mm-hmm.
0: basically say we're, we're here we're um uh, we're reaching out to report a lightning storm in space and the other side says that doesn't seem possible and then they say hey, i i know that's why we're reporting it. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, so it's like that's, that is that is a big plot point because it becomes relevant later when he's like, um, guys, this has happened before and right. not good things happened out of, came out of it.
0: And it. Another reason why Star Trek does it so well is that it throws these little plot points in without drawing attention to themselves. Yes, mm-hmm. the movie starts that way, but you forget about it by the time the 10-minute prologue ends. Right. There was a lightning storm in space, and then mm-hmm. later on when Kirk mentions it, you're like... Oh yeah, yeah, that was right.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So,
0: because you don't want to just throw these things out in the middle of the movie, like, oh, here's a plot point. You know, you want to set this, you know, the stones up for you know mm-hmm. the audience to kind of walk through and follow. Mm-hmm. You know, stepping stones in a way.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so again, that's an example of a major plot point. The villain and a minor plot point. You know, the lightning storm, which mm-hmm. becomes you know more you know pertinent yeah. later on. And there, there's other you know plot points. We're not going to go through all of them for sure. Yeah. Um, You know, that's could be your your homework of the week is to go watch. Star Trek 2009, J.J. Abrams, <laughs> and try to find those. Yeah, uh, But again, the, the prologue shouldn't just be like, oh, and here's a scene. No, you need to start okay. setting up your story right then and there. Yeah. You, know, you need to be economical in your storytelling mm-hmm. and use every single, you know, if you're doing film, second frame of storytelling to the best of its, if its ability. You want to be doing dual duty by throwing in plot points and emotions and everything else at the mm-hmm. same time. So last thing I want to talk about for, again, this does involve any prologue, but today for the action one, is that you do want your prologue to set the tone of the story. If you're doing a war movie, you're not going to start out with a scene that is reminiscent of Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> you know, you're just setting up your audience for bad expectations in mm-hmm. a way.
1: Well, and it's just like what they, what I read about, you know, in Elizabeth, Elizabethan drama the pro one of the things the prologue did was give the audience the themes, introduce them to the themes of the play they were about mm-hmm. to see. So that they know what kind of what kind of reality they were entering. And yeah, same thing. It's the tone. You know, you wanna yeah, you want to set the tone. Like the opening of Inglorious Bastards. The tone of that opening scene is like dramatic and suspenseful and To like, quote
0: um, Back to the Future. It's heavy. <laughs>
1: yeah. Heavy and tragic and you know and now okay to be fair that sets up the tone for one half of the story in that movie because the other half of the story is ridiculousness you know brad pitt and his
0: killing nazis
1: yeah i felt i felt like i was watching two movies mashed together but kind of were. but that part of the storyline you know that follows that female character and and um
0: was it soshona is that her name i think i don't
1: remember her name I only saw once, but yeah, that but but that's you know it sets up the tone for that half of the story the the heaviness the tragedy the you know the, you know the villainy of the villain, um, yeah. So I think that mm-hmm. you know that's another one that I think of when you think of setting the tone, letting people know what kind of movie you're about to watch.
0: Mm-hmm. And and that's one of the reasons why I think um, the first Guardians of the Galaxy works so well because. Um, it does something establishes the tone but not quite the tone you expect and that's a good thing because the beginning shows his mom pass away and then mm-hmm. him being basically abducted by I guess aliens <laughs> yeah. later on and then the next scene is you know Chris Pratt's character you know lip-syncing to who knows what <laughs> it seems silly. Um, and it seems like oh my goodness the tone is so different but you needed that first scene to ground the Emotions, mm-hmm. so the next ridiculous scene could be like, Oh, we know that there's more backbone to this than just you know, a fun I mean, character, so, yeah, yeah. Which I mean, he's hilarious yeah. in it, don't, you know, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. So, again, the tone doesn't need to be uh, the tone you established at the beginning doesn't need to be carried through, you know, exactly, you know, paint by numbers, you know, exactly that way for the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. It just has to show that this is at its soul what the movie's about, mm-hmm. and at its soul, it was about you know, family, yeah, ultimately, yeah, and it shows that it's layered with ridiculousness that they pull off really really well <laughs> um but if you yeah. just start out with chris pratt like that it may not have had the effect that you were
1: right looking, looking it may for. have made you feel more like i felt when i watched the trailer for guardians before i saw the movie <laughs> and i said that looks stupid i don't ever want to see that and then so, i went yeah.
0: inside and said chris you should go know, see it yeah
1: but yeah i feel like that's what if you hadn't set the tone the way they did in the prologue then you cut it you may have People may have felt more like I felt watching the trailer. If yeah. If you just open the movie, like, this is ridiculous. Why am I watching this movie? Right.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so for, for Star Trek specifically, you you do see, you know, the, the seriousness of it all, for sure. But there is sprinkled some humor even at the beginning. I mean, in that line we just talked about, you know, uh, right at the beginning, it's, you know, distru- distress call, or what is not distress call, it's lightning, we're here to report a lightning storm in space, you know, like, that doesn't seem possible, I know so, that's why we reported it. Yeah. I still remember being at the, you know, it's the eight of... o'clock showing of that movie and the whole audience burst out laughing because yeah. it just, it has some irony there.
1: Yeah. It's, it's like, it's real, it's, um it's not com- what I would call comedy, it's real, it's realistic humor. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is real life humor. Like, yeah. I know this is silly. Like, yeah. So I don't, <laughs> so I don't want But to just tell like you. Guardians, it sets the stakes yeah. and it
0: shows what the movie's about so that you can have a little lighten up and have a little bit more, you know, fun with it later on by still showing, okay, we're grounded here.
1: Yeah. And it also way. shows you one of the themes is, you know, is, is how to make, I mean, for at least for Kirk, it's like, you know, how to make decisions as a captain and, and you know, what. Um, risks sometimes it's, it's yeah sacrifice yeah, i mean so one of the biggest themes,
0: and... themes about you know star trek is you know family and sacrifice mm-hmm. you know the yeah. the the crew of the uss enterprise but then the movie has to do both of those things mm-hmm. Print almost every single character
1: mm-hmm.
0: um and you see that at the beginning it's mm-hmm. it bookends itself which is you know it's a cohesive story yeah um so one last thing I want to kind of uh, close on from a cinematic perspective, just a few things that... Okay, again, the Star Trek Pro like, did all these items we talked about really, really well. But mm-hmm. um, then cinematically, it just added a little bit of extra punch to it that just made it like, oh my goodness, oh, it's so, yeah. so good. Um, and one of them was more of an innovative space thing. And this is, again, like, being in that first audience assumably filled with, you know, Star Trek fans, um, you just kind of, kind of feel like the room gasp is when... Um, oh, I know. The, what you're talk I about. know the, the um the the villain ship starts blasting away at the USS Kelvin, and you see a hole being ripped into the hole, into the hull. A hole being ripped into the hull, and all these crew members being sucked out into space. We've seen that before. We've seen it in Star Wars. We've seen it in other places. The camera follows them out into silence.
1: It's like almost got, pure yeah. silence,
0: not quite, but almost. And it's like, oh my goodness, they're treating this almost like. What would happen in real life space yeah. there's just nothing it's yeah. just they're just gone yeah. there's nothing
1: it's, it's it's cacophony of sound and explosions and screaming and you know chaos yeah and you follow this female and she yeah she gets sucked out and it's like ah! and it just it's like whoa. What it sets happened? the gravity of it all yeah and that's
0: one thing that JJ Abrams also does so I think set the tone of the movie in mm-hmm. a way just set that that tonally of you know, things are, things are serious. This is not your father's Star Trek, even though I have no idea what that was. <laughs> yeah. Assumably, this is different. Just the yeah. way the audience reacted at, at mm-hmm. that time. Um, another reason why I hope the movie theater going experience never goes away. Even with all the Netflix and Hulu's and all that. There's yeah. something about being, mm-hmm. even for people, introverts like us, <laughs> being in a crowd of Strangers, ultimately, you know, with a few friends yeah. and just being able to experience all that, that together, together yeah. is just it's one of the reasons why it makes the movie theater experience worth worth going to for the most part. Yeah. Um, the other moment isn't as <laughs> glamorous, glamorous at the word. Yeah, glamorous is the other that. ones. Um, two things is one is that, you know, the camera is also moving throughout most of this. Um, but it's it's a uh, it's dictated by the characters. You know, you're not just whipping the camera around for the sake of it, but you're showing kinetic energy when there needs to be kinetic mm-hmm. energy. You're showing characters looking at each other. You're basically doing. you're helping move the the pacing of the story along mm-hmm. um, by basically just, you know, letting the uh, the camera tell some of the story, which that yeah. was really cool. Yeah. But then the, the very and this is the the bit that kind of gets me every time is that after end of the prologue, again spoiler but we already spoiled it. Um <laughs> After, you know, Kirk's father sacrifices himself, and he's just been born as, you know, mother's kind of mourning and all that, the camera just kind of pans out from, like, the little hospital room on the escape pod that, you know, the mothers are holding the baby, and he just pulls out and shakes and shakes and shakes. It's almost like it's someone holding the camera just can't, like, you know, contain their emotions. I've never and noticed it's, that. It's something that, and as a filmmaker, I look I look for these types of things. I've never noticed that. But I think that's wow. what I think that's what helps you know you as the audience member get that emotion. It's not your typical you know you know track you know dolly out that you know just kind of oh you know this is ending the scene typical signature shot. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not like shaky cam like Jason Bourne. It's it pulls out a little well, bit. Clearly, because I didn't know. I didn't yeah, know a little bit, and then it. just shakes, and then just shakes. and I it you know, stops not go shakes and, and it stops. It I've never. And seen it just that. shows that something isn't right but we have some resolution yeah. to this particular scheme because usually the, the dolly out, um, in film grammar is you're, you're signaling the end of something, mm-hmm. transitioning to something else.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But just doing that end of itself is too peaceful. Mm-hmm. They need the extra little bit of movement to show that the things still aren't, aren't all right. Yeah. And for me, that was a moment that every time I've, I've seen the prologue probably 50 times. I'm not joking. Um, <laughs> sometimes I put in the DVD, of the movie just to watch that prologue. And when I'm trying to like get into the writing mood in mm-hmm. a way, um, And that bit just, you know, it helps show. It's a really clever way of showing without telling.
1: Yeah. It's a reminder that the camera is one of the storytellers. It's a person. It's part of the story, so that what everything it does helps tell a story. Yeah, yeah. but I my own, I I've never seen that. I need to go watch it again.
0: We'll we should watch it again. Yeah. <laughs> well, on that me. note, we're out of time for today. <laughs> Even though who knows how long these things are supposed to be. If you have a recommendation for what's too long or too short, uh, feel free to uh, email us at Ryan at SeekingStories dot com. Uh, but in the meanwhile um,
1: you're getting a lot of emails <laughs> your podcasts are too long from all of our 15 <laughs> listeners <laughs> um
0: yeah. so kristen quick preview then uh, what are we talking about next week
1: we are talking about um one of the two narrative type of prologues which is the historical narrative in
0: which uh movie are we going to be looking at
1: oh the best one ever <laughs> lord of the rings the fellowship of the ring
0: and we'll be looking at another few examples of movies that didn't work as well historical narrative is a hard one to get right Mm -hmm. Uh, but we hope you'll join us next week and thanks again for listening this week